ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Today, I am joined on the phone by Jeff Heron. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dr. Chris. That's good to have you here. Uh, it would be great if you were actually here across the table from me, but um, the times being what they are, we'll just have to go by phone for now. Um, yeah, absolutely. I wish I was with you as well. Likewise. So so I'll, I'll give Jeff an opportunity in a little bit to introduce himself a little bit more, and, and you're going to hear part of his stories as we, um, as we get into the episode as well. But if you've never tuned into Ignition before. My name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, Been in that role since 2002. Um, Since 1999, I've been in the role of husband to Jermaine. Um, She's from Ohio. I am from central Minnesota. And we have five kids, all of whom have been born and raised to this point in eastern South Dakota, sunny Sioux Falls. Not very sunny today as we're recording, but it is what it is. And today, Jeff and I are going to be talking about Holy Week, Um, how he and his family, um, what it's meant to them in the past, um, and how they're planning to celebrate it this year in light of the, the COVID pandemic, and what, what that means in terms of the limitations on social distancing or the requirements for social distancing, the limitations on travel, and uh, most particularly the limitations, uh, the inability for Mass to be celebrated with a congregation, which means that the vast, 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 vast majority of us as laymen and women will not be able to participate in the, the, um, the Holy Week liturgies uh, as, as we normally would this year. Um, so just going to be visiting with Jeff a little bit about what, again, Holy Week in the past has, has meant and, and what he and his family are planning to do this year. Jeff, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Um, I'm guessing few of them have heard of Jeff Heron before, so who are you? <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm Jeff Heron. I'm originally uh, from Michigan. I'm married to uh, my wife, Lois, uh, who's originally from Indiana. We've been married for a little over 41 years. We have uh, three grown married children and 15 grandchildren. And uh, Lois and I are empty nesters. So we are uh, without lots of little pitter-patters of feet (laughs) and that sort of thing. But um, we love our children, and we don't get to see them real often. The closest family is 80 miles away. The rest of them are in other states. Oh, boy. But... um, it's um, it's a wonderful life. Uh, Lois and I, for 34 years, were in Protestant ministry in the Wesleyan denomination. And so it hasn't been but the first, last uh, five years, five, five years ago, 2015, at Easter Vigil, uh, we were confirmed and welcomed into uh, the Catholic Church. And so the Holy Week liturgies are literally very new to yeah. us. 
Yeah. Uh, we come from a non-liturgical background uh, in our in the Protestant movement that we were a part of. And so we have come to embrace, love, and enjoy, and highly value uh, the Triduum, uh, with, of course, the pinnacle being Easter Vigil. And um, so that's uh, just a, a bit of a background of my uh, my family and the fact that I come from the Protestant movement as a Protestant pastor. So I, I'd actually... Uh, very much loving the Catholic Church. Amen. And and we're happy to have you. Um, so Thank actually, you. the way I want to begin, and I think, Jeff, down the road... So if, if, by the way, if, if you've been listening to Ignition before, you might... Jeff Heron, that's a, hasn't he been on before? Jeff has not been on the show before, but if you've been listening over the last maybe half year, you've he- heard um, his son, the one who lives 80 miles away, Jason Heron, Dr. Jason Heron, teaches theology at Mount Marty University um, down in Yankton, South Dakota, down because it's south here of Sioux Falls. Um, so Jason Heron has been on the show, but this is the first time I've had you on, Jeff. And I do, I'm going to have you back to, to take a full episode to to tell the story about how you ended up um, going from Wesley ministry as a Wesleyan pastor to being a Catholic and a Catholic layman. So I, I want I want to get the full story, but maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes or so, give or take. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to like cut you off, but, but maybe just wondered if you could maybe take a little bit of time to, to give the, the short version of, of that journey um, into the church. Sure, sure. Um, I think I had mentioned that we'd been in the pastoral ministry um, in the Wesleyan denomination for uh, 34 years. A portion of that was in uh, northern Indiana. Part of that was in uh, eastern Michigan. Uh, Part of it was in uh, Arizona, in the southwest part of the country. And for the last 18 years, uh, prior to coming into the Catholic Church, we were here in Sioux Falls. I was an assistant pastor uh, at a local Wesleyan church here in Sioux Falls, Linwood, Wesleyan. Um, And during the tenure of my pastoral ministry, I noted a lot of shifts in movements within the evangelical movement, the um, Protestant movement portion of it that we come out of as a part of the evangelical movement. Um, A lot of changes, a lot of twists, a lot of turns. Um, And my pastoral theology was continually being challenged. Um, And the end result was not always positive as for what I believe the Lord had called me to be uh, as a pastor within that church. And the longer that I served, um, seemingly the more toxic the ministry was becoming mm. uh, for me and to me and literally changing me internally because I was kind of being um, nudged and I don't know if I should say forced, but kind of kind of nudged in directions that uh, just really wasn't acceptable to me to... Um, I couldn't abide with some of the things that I was expected to do and at times even being asked to do. Uh, and as the as the movement continued, it, it seemed as though uh, the church was becoming, and when I say the church, I'm talking now about the evangelical movement, was becoming more man-centric as opposed to being Christ-centric. Uh, people would go to church 
because there was a certain pastor that they could listen to and they liked what that pastor was presenting or how he was presenting whatever message he was preaching on that day. Um, and when I go to church, sure, I enjoy listening to a good homily and uh, enjoying what a priest has to say or whoever the presenter is, but I'm there to worship the Lord. He's the one who died on the cross for me, not Amen. a pastor, not a priest. Um, and it seemed as though, in the words of another Protestant writer, Eugene Peterson, it was almost as though the Holy Trinity was being traded in for another trinity in the evangelical movement, and that was buildings, bodies, and bucks. Mm. And that... Um, and that, that was, you said, so Eugene Peterson, that he was an evangelical Protestant um, writer, pastor himself, you said, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. And uh, in the latter years of my, um, of my pastoral ministry, I read a lot of uh, Peterson's works. He came from more of a mainline denomination, I think. Uh, I think he was Presbyterian, but he was an evangelical Presbyterian. Um, and at any rate, I just witnessed a lot of these kinds of transitions and a lot of things that were transpiring, and it just got to the point where uh, Lois and I were in a measure of what I would refer to as a pastoral ministry crisis, and we went to a retreat um, in the greater Colorado Springs area uh, that was designed for pastoral couples. Uh, our relationship as a couple was fine, but what the ministry was doing to us, we were kind of like the frog in the kettle, and we were in the process of being boiled to death. Yeah. Um, and we just knew as a result of going to that retreat and going through the sessions that we had with the retreat leaders that it would be best for us uh, to resign and, and step aside. So that's what we did, but I was not planning on becoming Catholic. Um, However, after a few months of visiting other evangelical churches, uh, it seemed as though those worship services were another verse of the same old, worn-out evangelical tune. And um, prior to that, and in the long version of the story that I'll get into at some point in time with you, but uh, Lois had, would occasionally, frequently would go to Mass, either Saturday evening or and or early Sunday morning, and she would come home, and then we would go to an evangelical church together. And finally, I just said to her, I want to go to Mass with you. And um, we went to the Cathedral of St. Joseph here in Sioux Falls, and um, really never looked back. And that date would have been probably May-ish of 13. Okay. And then during the school year of 1415, we went through RCIA and then came into the church at Easter Vigil of 2015. Okay. And, and, and part, so I, I, the lowest, lowest is, um, sort of taking the lead is, is something that I hadn't heard before. And a little bit that I know your story and I look forward to unpacking, no, uh, further down the road in another episode, sure. but also I, I, I am aware that you weren't the first Herons to come into the Catholic church either. Correct. Correct. Um, 
Jason and his wife, Hannah, uh, became a part of the Catholic Church, I believe it was in 06, while he was attending the world's largest evangelical <laughs> seminary. Yeah. <laughs> I don't God think does have a sense of humor. he does. I don't, I don't think Jason. I don't think I don't think I've had Jason tell his story either. So I'll, I'll have to get his take. But I did. What I didn't realize until you, I, I, well, maybe I heard it, but I didn't put two and two together until you just mentioned it. That was um, what nine years before you entered the church. Then so there's quite a right. quite a gap between when when son became Catholic and dad was still um, a Wesleyan. Right, and I I was not anti what he was doing but I just didn't understand what he was doing. And now that I understand what he was doing, I wish I was, I mean, we were separated. He was in Wilmore, Kentucky, and we were out here. Um, but I wish I could have been, would have had a, a mindset to be more in celebration with what he was doing. Right. I just kind of uh, neutrally accepted what he was doing and knew that he was still a Christian. He was still worshiping God. He was, you know, a believer in uh, the salvific uh, story, um, but uh, didn't enter into it as fully as I could have and wish that I would have. And then the year before we came into the church uh, in 2014, our oldest daughter, Emily, uh, she converted and came into the church. Uh, she and her family live in Washington, Indiana. Okay. And then in 2016, the year after we came into the church, then her husband, Grant, also um, joined the Catholic Church was okay. confirmed. Great. Okay, so we'll unpack that more in an episode down sure. the road. But sort of with that as as a more detailed um, background of Jeff Heron's story, more detailed, but still the the short version, I guess. Um, I want to hear more from you. So I, I didn't realize it's been five years. So this is liturgically speaking next Saturday. Um, uh, Holy Saturday would be liturgically the fifth anniversary of of your entry into the church. So um, you've celebrated so four, let's see, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So five, five Holy Weeks you've celebrated, the one you came into the church, and then four more up to last year's where you've got the full-blown experience. And, and I know many adults who come into the church, um, this is their favorite week of the year. Uh, can you talk right. about what Holy Week has meant to you over these last five years? Sure. And before, by the way, Jeff, just in case somebody's just tuned in before you get into that, you're listening to Ignition. This is a broadcast for the New Evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm visiting today with Jeff Heron, um, who for 34 years was uh, a Wesleyan. It's a, it's a, um, a branch of Methodism within within Protestantism. So he was a Wesleyan, Wesleyan minister five years ago, came into the Catholic Church with his wife, Lois. And we're talking today about then Holy Week and what it's meant to, to them and and how they're going to be celebrating it this year, uh, unable to attend uh, Mass in person. So, Jeff, what's what's Holy Week meant to you over these last five years? Sure. Uh, the most significant <clears throat> Holy Week, of course, was the year that was 2015, when it was the culmination of our preparation through RCIA. However, um, three or four years before... Um, Catholicism, we accepted the invitation of a friend of ours. Um, her husband 
was a parishioner at the church that I was serving at as a Protestant pastor, uh, and the lady is a practicing Catholic, and we accepted the invitation to go to Easter Vigil over at Holy Spirit Catholic here in Sioux Falls. And so I was blown away by the amount of Scripture and the (laughs) salvation story that was told in all of the readings. And I could see some people were kind of like, when is this going to get on? <laughs> when can we get the lights on? And when can we get on with the real show here and, and move forward? Um, but so, Jeff, let me just interject real there, real quick there. If somebody, I mean, some Catholics um, haven't ever, or maybe it's been a long time since they've experienced the Easter Vigil, and we may have some other other Christians listening um, who, like you, had never previous, who had never experienced the Easter Vigil. There are seven, well, a possible, possible seven readings from the Old Testament with a Psalm for each. And then um, I think it's a reading from Romans, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and then the Gospel. Uh, as part of, the, part of the Easter Vigil. Now, um, most parishes don't do all seven Old Testament, but you have to do at least three Old Testament readings plus three Psalms, then then Paul's letter to the the reading from Romans, and then the Gospel. So there's a t- at the minimum that a parish can do. There's a ton of scripture. Yes, and and Lois and I loved it, and we just kept saying, "Do the people in this?" congregation realize what they're listening to. This is the story of salvation, and this is who we worship, and this is what Christ died for us, going all the way back to uh, Judaism. And uh, we were thrilled with it. And then after having gone through the RCIA and planning on and preparing to become confirmed at Easter Vigil 2015, um, And then to do it at the cathedral and to, you know, I'd never seen the Easter candle lit. I didn't know any of the liturgy that was surrounding the Easter candle and then processing in and the chanting that was going on and all the music and uh, the symbolism of starting in the dark and then moving toward light and having the lights come up. And uh, again, doing that in the sacred space of the Cathedral of St. Joseph was just almost overwhelming, and then to be able to be such a prominent part of the liturgy as a candidate, uh, and the group that we came in with, there were other candidates, and there was one catechumen, and of course we had been uh, learning and studying and journeying together uh, the whole school year, and we knew these individuals, we loved these individuals, some of their sponsors were a part of that journey with them. Um, and just just so to explain to too, in case in case somebody had heard the terms, a catechumen that's somebody who uh, has never been baptized. So Jeff, right. you you and your wife Lois were candidates because you'd already been baptized as Christians. Um, but right. somebody who's never been baptized, they're called a catechumen, um, and they are baptized at the Easter vigil. You you um, received the sacrament of of confirmation and made your first communion. Um, they get it's not quite the grand slam, but it's the three sacraments of initiation: <laughs> baptism, confirmation, and first communion. Um, and unlike you, they didn't have to go to first confession already, like you did. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so for us to be able to experience all of that and to um, to be anointed with the chrism oil and to hear Bishop Swain 
confirm me in the name of uh, of my saint, who is uh, uh, Father John Fisher. Um, and just all of the beauty of all of that and, and enjoying that um, with our RCIA director and with, at that time, Father Fitzpatrick and uh, Father Young, Andy Young, um, and just seeing the joy and the delight on their faces and, and the beauty of the liturgy surrounding all of it. I mean, it was just, it was monumental. It was, it's a marker in our lives, in our spiritual lives. And then since then, we love Holy Week and we love participating in the Triduum uh, for what it stands for, but also it's still very fresh in our minds because 2015 isn't that long ago. Right. And so all of those experiences <clears throat> spiritually for us are still very rich and still very fresh. Um, and and we love the Catholic Church and we love the fact that we get to pr- practice our Catholic faith with the parish that identifies with the Cathedral of St. Joseph. Amen. Uh, and if, if, if you've, if you're on the, the Triduum, what? The, the Triduum, the, the sacred Triduum, the, the, the holy Triduum, um, Triduum three days. So it's, it's the, the three most holy days in the church year. And it starts Thursday evening at sunset um, because that night there's the, the mass of the Lord's Supper the evening mass of the Lord's Supper. There's on Good Friday. There's the Good Friday liturgy, which includes um, the, the the account of the Lord's Passion and the the veneration of a cross, kissing the cross in remembrance of Jesus's death on the cross. Saturday there's the Easter Vigil, Saturday night, and then so so it's Thursday night to Friday night is day one. Friday night to Saturday night is day two, and then Saturday night with the Easter Vigil. And then Sunday morning with all the Easter Sunday morning liturgy masses, Saturday to Sunday is day three. So if you've ever wondered, uh, listeners, if you hear the term three days, what are the three days? Those are those are the three days, the holiest time of the year. So, Jeff, just a, a beautiful reflection on what um, what that that 2015 meant to you uh, and a little bit since and and what I want to do here in a moment, just the the five or so minutes that we have left is is hear how you and Lois are planning to make 2020's holy year um, memorable and meaningful as well, because, again, of the inability for us to participate in person um, in the Mass and, and what you what, what you and your wife are, are planning to do. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. This is a broadcast from the New Evangelization. Visiting today with Jeff Heron, um, uh, an adult convert from being a, a, a Protestant Wesleyan minister to the Catholic faith five years ago. Um, and we're just talking about Holy Week, what Holy Week has meant to him and his wife the last few years. And now I'd like to talk about how you're planning to celebrate Holy Week this year, Jeff. So what do you and Lois have in mind? Well, since we've had to practice social distancing and the masses have been suspended, um, fortunately, uh, during the day, the cathedral is still unlocked. And on days that I don't have to work, uh, I will frequently go over sometime uh, during the day and pray, read scriptures, uh, maybe do the Stations of the Cross, and just enjoy being in that sacred space because we love that sacred space. Mm. Lois is able to get over there more frequently than I am just because she's not full-time employed. Um, so 
I wouldn't be surprised as we are able um, during the day uh, before the masses are celebrated and recorded, uh, we will probably go over as we are able and pray, read, do the Stations of the Cross, do something. Uh, there are even times that we'll take an electronic device with us and, and listen to a mass while we're in the cathedral space. In the church itself, right? Right. Uh, and then more than likely, if we can stream it live, we'll stream it live, whether it be uh, you know Thursday night or Good Friday or Easter Vigil. Um, hopefully Easter Vigil will, will just be able to, to watch it live. Uh, again, and just remember um, what we have enjoyed for so long. Obviously, it will only be a drop in the bucket in comparison to actually being able to be there with our brothers and sisters. And and then I've had the privilege of being the director of our CIA at the cathedral and have been helping prepare uh, mm. human and eight uh, candidates for confirmation. Um and all the rest of it. And so I'm disappointed for them that they can't participate in Easter Vigil, but it is what it is. And uh, this is un- these are unprecedented times. Right. But back to your question. So we will probably do what we can electronically by participating, by watching what is recorded um, at the cathedral. Uh, and then when we can during the, the week, to literally go to the sacred space that we identify as the Cathedral of St. Joseph and worship and remember and celebrate um, the passion of Christ and all that he has done for us to secure our salvation. Amen. And uh, we can't worship him enough. Uh, And of course, during this season of the year, when we remember specifically and most profoundly in the liturgies are pointing toward his passion, his death, uh, the burial, the resurrection, uh, and then for that to be the time of the year when we entered uh, the Catholic faith—it's um, just very, very—it's it's, a—it's a mile marker in our lives. It's a high point in our lives, and uh, even though we're disappointed that we can't celebrate it this year in person, we will still celebrate it in a, in a variety of facets. Beautiful. Jeff, the time has flown by. We've only got a minute left. So about half a minute, the, the, you'll be watching a lot of liturgies. How have you just, and we sort of had the opportunity the last few weeks to do so, how have you and Lois avoided merely watching and really still to the degree that we can virtually participating in what you're viewing at the same time, just in a few seconds? Sure. Um, we enter into it as fully as we can. We practice uh, spiritual communion. Um, when we're supposed to kneel, we kneel. When we should stand, we stand. Uh, we just follow the rubrics that we have come to love and appreciate uh, as though we were there in person and experiencing it live. Great. Great. Jeff, thanks for being on today and sharing um, a little bit of your story and more to come in a future episode, sure. but your story with us and, and what Holy Week has meant and will meet to you, mean to you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's been my pleasure. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and blessed Holy Week to you.